Hey, you're listening to The Lisa Show. Well, happy Valentine's Day. Here to talk about our favorite romantic love songs, which is what you want to talk about with your sister, is my little brother, James Valentine, guitarist of Maroon 5 and all around great human. Welcome, James. Hey, how's it going? It's going pretty great. So Valentine's Day growing up, did you look forward to it or did you dread it? Mm, Well, yeah, there was a little bit of dread just because uh, growing up with our last name. (laughs) school there was just always the gentle ribbing around valentine's day but i guess in a way it also made me feel a little bit special right it was my day (laughs) it is your day i know everyone would say that right hey it's your day you're celebrating your day is it your birthday today yeah yes i was born on valentine's day because that's my surname um what are you going to do today for valentine's day well uh we started a tradition, uh, me and my girlfriend, Alexis, we had a, a Valentine's Day party last year, um, and we're doing it again this year, and it's really fun. We could just get a bunch of friends together, have some dinner, and then play some games. Oh, fun. You're, you're a big game player. What game? Well, last year, uh, the, the main game we played was Bananagrams. <laughs> yes. To this game, Bananagrams, and I, I brought that home to... Uh, our family's Christmas. Yeah, I'm laughing because now we're all in big into it. it. We get very competitive, the Valentines. Very competitive. <laughs> like, cause, yeah, we don't was, play to form bonds and create good memories. We play to win. That's right. <laughs> but uh, this year we're all about the game Sequence, which uh, oh, yes. I also brought back to Thanksgiving, which is kind of a card game. It's kind of like a card game mixed with like Connect Four or something. Uh, but that's a lot of fun. So there's a lot of things going on. A lot of things. Yeah. Yes. Well, because you're a musician, I was going to ask you about your favorite love songs or romantic songs. Um, but I don't want to put a lot of pressure on you, but all, all of our, our siblings and our parents came are coming on the show to talk about different things. But I thought, you know, here you're a guitarist that has toured the world many times over. Um, do you have that quintessential, this is the perfect love song in your head, or is there a collection that you like? Hmm. Well, you know, I, I just saw this, this morning, uh, one of my friends, uh, the great songwriter, Jenny Lewis, mm-hmm. she just, uh, she just had posted, uh, a Spotify playlist that you can, uh, oh. go online and see that actually is great. It's got a lot of great songs on it. She, she created a, a playlist of unironic, beautiful love songs. Oh, I love that. Unironic, beautiful love songs. If you just search up Jenny Lewis, can you find it? Yeah, yeah. It's it's uh, on KCRW's uh, uh, website. Okay. So if you look up KCRW, Jenny Lewis, and, uh, because I, I had just downloaded this uh, because I thought, oh, this is going to make a, a perfect playlist for our Valentine's Day party. Okay. Um, so... It's it's got some great ones, including you know uh, my funny Valentine, which is great. Um, nothing compares to you. Oh yeah. Oh, that's heartbreaking. Sinead O'Connor. O'Connor. Yeah, heartbreaking. Uh, written by Prince. Oh yeah. Um, and so if you get a chance to, there's uh, on the internet somewhere you can hear Prince's demo of that song. Really? It's incredible. And yeah, that's that's a great recording. Okay, so let's listen to a little bit of My Funny Valentine by Chet Baker. My funny Valentine Sweet comic Valentine You make me smile with my So that's a classic. What do you think makes it a classic? Well, you know, it, it is. It's a standard. It's one of the the songs uh, that is part of the Great American Songbook. <laughs> yes, uh, it is. I think, <laughs> I, I think this in this era, the melodies were so strong. Oh, yeah. Uh, you know, the, I think that's why you'll hear so many different versions of My Funny Valentine, instrumental and vocal versions, because... The melody is strong enough to stand on its own. So yeah, 
So Ooh, it's, it's a good it's really stood the test of time. Okay, then going to written by Prince, but famously performed by Sinead O'Connor, Nothing Compares to You. Let's listen to a little bit of it. Whenever I hear that song, I just imagine Sinead O'Connor's face, the video, right? Just she shaved her head. Yeah. It was just raw emotion. She's crying. She's feeling every we believe everything she says. And the whole video is just the video of her face. Do you remember watching that video when it first came out? Oh, yeah, absolutely. That was one of those iconic videos. Uh, and it was it was also a, a pretty obvious inspiration for the video that we did for memories which is just a shot of adam face on singing the song yeah for memories um yeah maroon five what is the the reaction to that video been uh it's been great you know i think shanae had the right idea it's it's the song i think when the song is working on its own it's a great idea just to strip it down to its bare essentials and and just you know the face and the, the performance straight on of the song and you can it really highlights you know the emotional uh quality of the whole thing so i think it's it's really effective it's really simple but very effective do you tie that song or any other song like to a particular like person or memory oh well that yeah i mean i guess for me i think uh i think about being back in the basement in lincoln nebraska you know watching mtv (laughs) on that 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 dial uh cable box uh-huh you know that, that you would crank around <laughs> yeah wood paneling uh, polished so wood, wood nicely paneling, and i think you know probably by the time that song came out i wasn't old enough to really understand the themes that she was talking about or the <laughs> severe sort of heartbreak of yeah. uh, <laughs> you know a, an adult breakup right but, <laughs> right. but i think it, it gave me it gave me uh some some hints about what was to come. <laughs> right. <laughs> oh, Sinead, thanks for breaking our hearts. Um, I I want to put you on the spot a little bit and and ask you, and and I'll answer this question too. That so it'll give you a little time to think about what you think the greatest love song that um, Maroon Five has put out. And and one of my f- all time favorite Maroon Five songs um, that you guys play and. That just when I first heard it, just struck a chord in my heart, and I've just always carried it through. And you've written lots of great songs and really great love songs, but I have a special place in my heart for Sunday morning. Oh, interesting. Yeah. And I don't know if it's the. I was going to say, like, She Will Be Loved is usually, Mm -hmm. that, that would probably be my answer, and that's the obvious sort of pick. But, but actually, yeah, a lot of people do respond to Sunday morning because I think it's, uh, whereas a lot of our songs are about uh, the sort of turmoil and the heartbreak, Sunday morning's actually just kind of a snapshot of the good part. Right. I think that's why I think it's so great. Yeah. Yeah. And I, I think it kind of captures that. And we still play that every show. And, you know, that wasn't, it wasn't really a, a hit single in the way that, that some of those other songs from that album were. Mm-hmm. But it, but it did really resonate with people, and I think for that, that same reason. Let's listen to a little bit of it. And then, yeah, She Will Be Loved, to me, seems like such an iconic love song as well. Oh, 
Yeah, that that one right away struck a chord with people, and uh, you know, I think that's like has some of the lines that are most quoted. Um, you know, the girl with the broken smile. <laughs> yep. Um, you know, Stay it's wow. butterflies. It's compromised. <laughs> <So>. <laughs> no, you got to uh, sing it. You got to sing it. It's not always. Uh, Come on, sing I'll, it with me. I'll leave that. I'll leave that. Rainbows and butterflies. It's compromise. <laughs> yeah. Oh man, I love it. <laughs> yeah, that one. That one. And a crowd favorite. And you know, for years we've been playing that uh, acoustically with with just me and Adam up on stage. Yeah. Breaking uh, hearts uh, all over the world. Breaking hearts. Yeah, people people always sing along to every word. And, and yeah, that, that one has really resonated with people, too. Now, something that I've noticed Gen Xers do, and I don't know, are you technically Gen X? I am uh, a Zennial. Oh, uh, you're a Zennial. X meets Millennial. Yeah, yeah, that's what I thought. Oh, which, interesting. Specific, which is kind of like transitioning. Yeah. Because you guys, uh, you guys ahead of me, like you and Chris are definitely Generation X. Mm-hmm. But uh, you know, Amanda below us, yeah, is is definitely. Well, she, I think she's a Zennial too. Yeah, but so we're in between. So the reason why I bring that up is because I, I I think that our generation, and I'm not sure if if we're the last ones to do it, but I know that we all had like a song, like I like you know like I know that the boomers had like if 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 you were in love with someone, you had a song, your song, and I don't know if that is necessarily something that people carry on today or if it's just different just because of the sheer number of songs that they can choose or whatever. But did you do that? Like for every relationship that you had, did you have a song? I'm trying to think. Uh, well, and I know, might have just made that up. Now, I don't know. With, <laughs> That's with, a generational no, thing. No, I think people definitely have songs, and uh, like uh, me and my girlfriend now, Alexis, we started compiling, which I think is is a cool thing to do. We started compiling a Spotify playlist of our songs that we share together so we we have a playlist that uh of different songs that we kind of like or that are significant to us um and not all of them are love songs either some of them are songs that we both like and so then they sort of become love songs though just because of our shared uh us sharing them and kind of what what they mean to us together which is interesting because i was i was looking at the 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 playlist and a lot of them are certainly not love songs but they're songs that we listen to a lot together mm-hmm. that we were obsessed to for a certain time so we can listen to and it's sort of takes us back to that time and that's yeah. you know a lot of what pop music does is it's it's nostalgia markers yeah it's a time machine you know, the time machine you know it just takes us back to that time so like on our romantic playlist we have songs like Brick by Ben Folds Five. This <laughs> 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 is not a romantic well, song. It is not a romantic <laughs> song. You're not going to, yeah, dance to that when you're an old man. Oh, that's funny. Oh, and if you listen to the lyrics, yeah, it's, it's certainly a very, very sad song. I don't want to talk about it. It, it tells no. a very sad story. Wow. If you don't know what I'm talking about, look up the lyrics to Brick by Ben Folds Yes. But we also have on our our shared playlist, This is America by Childish Gambino. Not a love song. Not a love song, but a great song. But it takes us back to our initial sort of courtship when we were hanging out. We loved that song. We do it all the time. (laughs) Yeah. So not what I thought you were going to say, Childish Gambino, on uh, your love list of This is America. But, you know, I love a good surprise. Yeah, it's uh, yeah, that's it. Just shows how versatile pop music can be. These yeah. songs can mean so many different things uh, to so many different people. In the same way that like that a scent can bring back mm-hmm. that you know these uh, in the Proustian sort of way. Um, these songs, you know, they can mean anything, even if it has nothing to do with the the writers. Uh, intentions of, of yeah, what they were trying no, to do. Yeah, that's so true. Is there a song that you listen to that breaks your heart that, that 
that really causes you to have an emotional reaction that you just kind of fight back the tears when you hear it? Hmm, or is uh, it just me? I have so many songs like that. No, I, I have, uh, I've got some songs like that. There's, um, there's, there's an artist named Benji Hughes. Benji Hughes? Benji Hughes, yeah. Okay. And he's not very well known, but he's, he's definitely held in reverence among a lot of L.A. songwriters. Okay. And he put out a record called uh, Love Supreme. And um, his songs really, uh, really get me. There's a song called Waiting for an Invitation. Um, that's, that's a really good one. And that one, that one really hits me. Oh, okay. That's good to know. We're going to put that on our list. Yeah. I'm going to look that check up. That one out. There's another one uh, that, that me and Alexis love called I Won't Hurt You mm-hmm. by the West Coast Pop Art Experimental Band. <laughs> uh we we heard this song uh, "I Won't Hurt You" in the Wes Anderson movie. What's the Wes Anderson movie with the dogs? Isle uh, of Dogs. Isle of Dogs. <laughs> yeah, this song was in there, and, and while while we were watching, we were like, "What is this song?" And looked it up. Um, it's called "I Won't Hurt You." Let's listen to a little bit of it. I won't hurt you. I won't hurt you. That's that's a great love song that people might not be familiar with. Oh, that's put that great. on your playlist. I'll put that on your playlist. <laughs> uh, James, it's a delight talking to you, especially about pop music. I know you you need to prep for your party. Um, what are you? What kind of food are you serving at your Valentine's party? We are serving uh, mozza, which is my favorite Italian pizza place in LA. It's Ooh. insane. Come out to L.A., check out Mozza. Oh, I, I will. Um, I love you, James. Thanks for your time. Love you. I'll be thinking Happy about Valentine's. you all day. Happy Valentine's Day. You're listening to The Lisa Show. We'll be right back. Welcome to The Lisa Show. Valentine's Day is a celebration of love, and I love treats. I love all the pink frosted sugar cookies shaped like hearts and all of the donuts and the chocolate dipped strawberries. And I could go on and on and on. Now, if your Valentine's Day has any dietary restrictions, you might think, now listen, this is not the holiday for me. Um, How can you enjoy your holiday treats with sugar, without sugar, or getting, uh, you know, a little creative and avoiding allergens and things like that? Well, I've invited our friend, Emily Campbell on the show to talk about all things treats. Welcome, Emily. Thanks for being here. Thanks for having me. So when you think about Valentine's Day, do you think about treats like I do? Like, isn't that your first thought? I do. Yeah. I do think about treats. And I feel like it's, you know, the middle of February. We're to a spot in the year now where maybe we can take a little cheat day from our New Year's resolutions and, you know, have fun and and justify it in that way. Okay, so the first kinds of treats that I want to talk about is like full-blown sugar. You're not worried about being healthy. You're not worried about allergens or um, artificial sugar or anything. Like full-blown <laughs> treats. What is the perfect? Yeah, the good ones. Yeah, the what good are treats. what are the good ones? What are what are your go-to Valentine's Day treats? Sugar cookies all the way. Yeah, right. It doesn't it does yeah. it have to be shaped in a heart or can you just like cut out like a triangle in the middle of the circle and call it good? Oh, it's got to be a heart or a circle. Yeah. Right. Yeah. I mean, I I feel like maybe I sugar cookies are my go to because I've had kids in elementary school for so long. Mm-hmm. I don't know. You know, and that seems to be our like Valentine's Day party activity. But I love a good sugar cookie. I, I like a homemade one with a good cream cheese frosting. Ooh, yeah. You know, that's just, I never make those. And that's probably <laughs> why I love them so much. So do you make them for Valentine's Day? Like chill the dough and I, the whole thing? 
I don't make them. That's why I, they're such like a delicacy to me because mm. I won't take the time to yeah. make a really good one. Yeah. That's a great, that's a great one. I've noticed a new trend for like donuts on Valentine's Day. Um, yeah. How do you feel about this growing trend? I, I don't know. When they're, <laughs> I think they're super cute when they're shaped into hearts or they're spelling out someone's name. I think that's really cute, but yeah. I still would prefer to eat a sugar cookie or probably even some chocolates, which is, you know, super traditional, um, classic Valentine's gift. Yeah. And you can't go wrong with that. No. Um, no. How do you feel about the chocolate covered strawberry? Oh, I love it. Love them. You're for it. Totally. Um, I do- think that's the only fruit though that I like with <laughs> chocolate. Yeah. You don't want a big fruit salad. No, I don't. And I don't like other things, other fruits dipped in chocolate, just the strawberry. That's like the only way to go for me. I love that. Um, on, a, on Valentine's Day, um, do you have a list of things that you're like, you know, this is a, a special occasion. I'm going to eat a treat. Or do you just see how the day goes? I've, I kind of just see how the day goes. I, if my husband gives me some treats, of course, I'll enjoy it. But I usually end up giving, you know, my kids a little treat and maybe making treats for a class party or something mm-hmm. else. But I really try not to, like, go crazy. You know, we're just getting off of Christmas and Easter's coming. And so I'm like, you know, I don't have to go bananas, but right. I can enjoy something if it's a gift, of course. If people are looking for a last minute classroom, you know, treat to take in for Valentine's Day or a last minute kind of idea to make for their neighbors or friends, what do you suggest? Uh, always the sugar cookie. Yeah. Okay. You're sticking <laughs> with the classic. Easy. I love it. You can go into any grocery store, even on Valentine's Day, and they will have <laughs> kits, you know, with the unfrosted cookie, which makes it so fun because then you can personalize them. You can pretend that you made them. You can make them extra special for somebody. So that's a really easy way to go, and it's fun. If you have kids involved, they can help, and it's super fun. And Yeah. You know. Okay, so now I want to change the direction. We're talking to Emily Campbell, friend of the Lisa Show, about special Valentine's Day treats and how we make it a little different depending on what your situation is. So um, for those who are trying to be healthy, right, and they're uh, like, listen, I don't, if one sh- there's no such thing as one sugar cookie asking for a friend. There is like there's only like six. And so I know that I can't even like go there if I'm trying to be healthy. Um, what recommendations do you have? Do you see how I asked that without laughing too hard? Well, I mean, if you're really dedicated to, you know, not breaking the no sugar or whatever it is, gluten, you know, it could be anything, Mm -hmm. just probably planning ahead for this day. And, and I remember, you know, for, for many years, we, our son was on a very strict special diet and he couldn't have any grain of any kind. And so I remember making special treats for him. They were fantastic. Things that were made out of coconut oil and almond flour with maybe a little bit of honey or pure maple. And I would make him these like coconut macaron cookies. They were so good and they had no artificial anything in them and no grain. And so I mean, it didn't take very much time. I think planning ahead to make sure that you are covered with something yummy or something you can give away to someone that has restrictions. Um, It doesn't have to be hard. You know, you don't have to go to the full five pounds of cream cheese, keto cheesecake or something like that. You (laughs) You can make it easy and, you know, planning ahead, of course. Yeah, it's very good. For those who have certain allergies, too, it can, you know, seem that they are not you know, included in the treat. But so I like that advice about, you know, planning ahead and a coconut macaroon with a dipped in chocolate. Like that's not bad. That's oh, not yeah. like no, going without totally. man. It, that's how I felt doing this. You know, these, these dietary restrictions with my son. Oh man. The, there's so many recipes out there now that can make the most amazing treats that you don't feel like you're deprived or missing out. It just takes a little prep. It's not hard. Um, and I think, too, a really good Valentine's celebration, you know, if you are like no sweets of any kind, no, I don't need any treats, go out and, you know, splurge on a good steak dinner or some oh, yeah. wings or something you wouldn't normally, you know, go out and buy for dinner. But it's Valentine's Day and you want to, you know, celebrate with your significant other yeah. or your kids or whoever, you know, plan a good protein packed meal or something. Yeah. And kind of offset it. Food. 
Yeah. That's true. You know, we do do a lot of celebrations and celebrating around food, and there are different alternatives. Um, I think sometimes starting, like you said, can be hard. And I know that you, um, with with your son, have have found a lot of resources to be able to provide treats, no matter what on you know what kind of restrictions he might have. Where do you suggest people go for resources like that? Just start googling. You know, look on the internet for whatever things you're cutting out of your diet or whatever things you're trying to include, just start searching. And then also there are just endless amounts of Facebook groups that are dedicated to, you know, people Mm. on keto diets, people on GAPS diet, people on gluten-free diets. And and the recipes nowadays are just so fantastic and they're easy for everybody. You don't have to spend a lot of money. You don't have to know how to cook or be really good at it. Um, They're just, it's, I mean, the internet is so great for that, right? I, know, I mean, right. it's all you at our fingertips. It. And yeah, you don't have to go to the library and check out a book or buy a recipe book. It's yeah. just all, it's there. And, and I, yeah, and it makes it so easy. You know what I want to bring back for Valentine's Day? And we used to do this when I was a kid is crepes. Oh, yeah. Because you can yes. make them sweet or savory. In fact, you should have I a couple that. of each. <laughs> yes, absolutely. Right? I That's love my tip. I love the sweet and savory where they do a little like, a soft cheese with some oh. jam or, oh, it's the best. No okay. kidding. I love it. Well, now I'm hungry. Valentine's Day breakfasts, right? Like, yeah. maybe that should be the celebration is the breakfast is the treat. Yeah. And, you know, when my kids were little, I would just make the pink pancakes because that was easy. Yeah. Maybe I'll maybe I'll step it up a notch and make uh, yeah. the uh, crepes. You can appreciate a good crepe. Right. <laughs> exactly. They have to appreciate it because they take right. patience to make yeah, All right. yeah, a toddler a toddler's not going to appreciate a real yeah. quality crepe. Come on. What? What? They, they want a fluffy pancake. Yeah, they do. Yeah. Bigger is better, right? They don't right. know the nuances. Pink. Plus, <laughs> pink. Plus the color pink. Well, I hope you have a great Valentine's Day. What will you be eating on Valentine's Day? Um, I think that I'm going to make crepes for breakfast. You just sold me on what? that idea. Crepes with some strawberries. I'm changing bananas. lives. I'm changing that'll lives. be that'll that sounds like the best start to a cute fun Valentine's Day for my family. Absolutely. Hey, well, thank you for being a friend of the show, Emily. Thanks for giving us just some ideas of not only what the classic traditional Valentine's Day treats can be, but also to help us to be prepared so that if we have any allergies or special restrictions or whatever, we can still have a treat, but just do it in the right way. Still celebrate. Have a great day. Lisa, let me ask you this. Growing up, what was your favorite part about Valentine's Day? There, For me, there there were a few favorites, but did you have a particular favorite part about Valentine's Day? Well, it was exciting because my name was Valentine, and so I felt like, oh, this is like for our family. And uh, But you learned pretty quick that it wasn't no, necessarily for— it was for, just okay. a regular day. Okay. Um, my mom made it really special, and so I liked going down. We always had a, a like a breakfast, and she would give us like a a little gift on our plates in the morning to come down. So it was special. But, so you what know? was special about the breakfast? Like pancakes shaped like hearts, sure. like that kind of stuff. Yeah, or just like red, a nice red uh-huh. dye in the thing. Okay, or just a nice breakfast with like a little Valentine's gift, like a, some candy or uh a strawberry or cherry flavored chapstick or, you know, even like a little gift or a toy or something when we were little. Did she ask you to be her her Valentine, like that kind of stuff? No? She has her own Valentine. Okay. I didn't know. I didn't know. (laughs) That's not how it works. So for me, the growing up Valentine's thing, and maybe you can relate to a couple of these things. Mm -hmm. One, it seemed like always around Valentine's Day, I found myself crushing on that one particular, okay. you know, person and yeah. maybe my elementary or uh-huh. especially in middle school, right? Yeah. I guess post, po- post like fourth grade, like fifth, sixth, yeah. you know, when you're starting to get those feelings mm-hmm. and you're like, what do I do with these things? Yeah. Uh, I would make the Valentine and you'd have to get something that was cool. Like maybe it's a comic book character, but it was a cool comic <laughs> book character or, you know, whatever. Yeah. And then you'd get the conversation hearts. And for everyone else, you would be very random, right? It's whatever comes out of the mm-hmm. little chalk candy bag. But when you're sending it to the one that you have oh, that crush yeah. on, did you did you do this? Did you labor over the hearts? No. Or 
vice versa, <laughs> did you, like, if there was some boy that you liked in your class, did you pay extra attention to what the hearts said or what oh, his yeah. Valentine said? Yeah, I would try to, in elementary school, decipher the meaning. Like, well, but in our classrooms growing up, everyone had to give everyone a Valentine. Yeah. You know, and so it, it was. I I wanted to read into all of them. So if there was a boy that I had a crush on, then I would look at that Valentine and think, mm-hmm. what does it mean? So did you, you know? did you also in your elementary school experience have to make like the fancy uh, Valentine's box where people yes. could drop your Valentine's? Oh, yeah. yeah. We all had to make that and with stickers and I love art. And Construction paper. Yeah. And you'd always see the one where- It was special. It was fun. Did you make them in class or did you make them at home and bring them? In class. Okay. Which I am all for. Right. And as a mother, have had to make them all- At home. With my kids at At home. home. Yeah. Mm -hmm. We always did. We always did the at home. And so you'd always come and you'd be like, you could tell whose parents helped them make theirs. (laughs) And And what you had on hand in the craft drawer or whatever. (laughs) And I just remember year over year being like- a, a sloppily dressed uh, shoebox <laughs> yeah. with construction paper sort of hanging off Have of it. Have you seen but the not... Valentine boxes now? Oh, they're, they're unreal. Out of P- control. P- Pinterest has changed the game oh for Valentine's gosh. boxes. Gosh, and and they're not shoe boxes or no. whatever box you find or cereal box, which sometimes we would do. Yeah, they're... no, it's a Valentine's oh. box kit you can yeah, purchase and you online. Yeah, you go to Target and buy this heart shaped like. Come on. Yep. Let me I ask... have opinions about that. Uh, <laughs> I couldn't tell. <laughs> I know. One more thing. Do yeah. you remember, and did this happen in your little borough of Nebraska, Yeah. where people would drop Valentines at your house? Like, ring the doorbell, leave the Valentine no. on the porch? We did May Day on the first day of May, okay. where you would do that. Okay. Where you would have like- Still a, like a love sentiment? Well, kind of. It would be like a like popcorn and candy and hmm. like little baskets and stuff. And you would ring the doorbell and run. Right. And they don't do May Day across the country, no. I realized, when I moved out of Nebraska. But we did it in Nebraska. But we didn't do that in, on for Valentine's Day, probably because in Nebraska, it's a frozen tundra in <laughs> February. And I think you your could tone. <laughs> well, kill we, yourself. we didn't actually do that then. Well, you know, you could slip death. on ice and you could have frostbite. Like you know, you're you're not driving around to your friends' houses, right, and right. it's dangerous. It didn't happen for very long, and I think I was kind of on the cusp of when it used to be okay. You did that? And and yeah, and I remember like my older sister, especially a little less for me. I think it, it transferred mm-hmm. into the schools oh. uh, when it would have been the time for me to anticipate yeah. a Valentine. That or I just wasn't very loved by other people and Stop. no one ever brought it. It could have been. not could've true. Been. But I remember my sister sort of waiting by the door for the Valentine mm-hmm. to be dropped off. And the same similar concept, oh, right? That's sweet. You drop the gift off, ring the doorbell, the other person runs and then you come out and you're like, what is oh. this? I mean, I just remember so many years, like from about 12 on, mm-hmm. just like, what if a boy sent me flowers? Mm-hmm. I would be so excited. Like getting excited, like maybe. Mm-hmm. Like allowing for the possibility from like 12 on, like t- I-, I might I might get a bouquet of balloons. Mm-hmm. It could happen. I could get a cookie bouquet, whatever it was. Right. Right. And it's interesting because I had the very clear thought when I became a mother and I had a 12-year-old boy. It's almost like it, it it healed that wounded 12-year-old girl's heart because that never happened to me. And, uh-huh. you know, uh-huh. I never got that growing up. Um, I was like, oh, yeah, a 12-year-old boy, the last thing he's thinking about is sending a girl he likes flowers <laughs> or a cookie bouquet. Like, yeah. no. Nope. 12-year-old boys developmentally nope. are not thinking about this. And it was like, oh, yeah, so I can officially – not take it personally. So uh, you talk about those that maybe don't celebrate. We use mm-hmm. Valentine's as a prompt to go out and do something that we wouldn't normally do. Oh, that's Whether cool. it's an activity or like to a more expensive restaurant than I we like normally that. would. But never on Valentine's Day or never on the, you know, the Friday or Saturday surrounding Valentine's I've Day. I've been a server we, and it's the, it is the busiest day for restaurants. Yeah, it really is. 100% of this and, uh, and, and a thousand percent the day that I won't go to the restaurant. Yeah. Yeah. I'll go to that restaurant two weeks later or maybe yep. a week or so before. As for the particular day, the only thing I'm doing for my wife today is I will hide a letter somewhere where she'll find it oh, so that she can be sweet. like, oh, he loves me. 
And you'll write some nice, mushy stuff. Oh, yeah. Side. Poems. Okay, good. I'll write her name down the left oh. side of the paper. <laughs> J. A haiku. Yeah. Jolly. Always happy to see me. E. Excellent. Oh. Don't give it away. Well, I'm not doing I did that one last year. <laughs> Thank you for listening to The Lisa Show. We'll be right back. This is The Lisa Show. You know, I love to talk about controversy. And one controversial subject in parenting is timeouts. Mm-hmm. Whether they're effective or not, how to use them, how not to, whether to follow through or not, how to follow through. Timeouts are just a stressful situation. Now, I know we're going to talk about this with kids, but before we yeah. get into this for children, I want to take 10 seconds. Do you ever put yourself in a timeout away time. from your children? I was just going to bring that up, actually. Mm-hmm. That's so funny because I realized that when I was so worked up that, you know, here are kids are just, they're trying to learn how to emotionally regulate, right? Mm-hmm. Like, mm-hmm. especially when they're little and they don't know what's going on and they're overstimulated or they're so confused. It's us as adults that need to calm down. And yep. I have put myself in, I have become so frustrated in, in situations, you know, things piling up or whatever. I can't even think of an, a specific example because it doesn't matter where I will say to the kids, I'm not ready to to talk about this right now. I'm just going to go in my room for just a minute. <laughs> and I will. Yeah. And here's the thing. It's not the worst thing in the world. No, I, I've gone so far as to say I am going to go put myself in a mm-hmm. timeout. Normally, it consists of a nap of some sort, but I'll yeah, just be like, over-tired. I just <laughs> I just need a timeout. And then I just sort of disappear. Yeah. And then I come back out and go, OK, now what? And I think that's the intended, I was going to say kind of art form, really, of the timeout, right? You just want everyone to, not just the kid, to take a deep breath. But when kids are little and their, like, scream is so piercing or the timeout expresses itself in the entire body, it can be a frustrating situation. And it's hard in that moment to know what to do. So we thought it would be worth the time to really have a conversation about, okay, so when we're stepping out, we're not in the middle of it right now. What's the right way to do it? Is it is it the right way to call it a timeout? Is it just a deep breath? What is effective about it? And, and how, you know, research and parenting techniques change over time. So what have we found to really be the most effective way to teach emotional regulation, which is what we're all looking for. So here to discuss with us these pros and cons of timeouts, how to use them more effectively, is Dr. Lucy McGoran, parenting strategist, researcher, and assistant professor at the Merrill Palmer Skillman Institute. Welcome. Hello. Good morning. Okay, so I think that we all have examples, and I want to start this conversation of how timeouts have gone wrong, (laughs) right? We all have that cautionary tale. What do people, have you felt, often get wrong when they're using timeouts? Sure. I I think part of the problem is that when we talk about timeout, people aren't always talking about the same thing. Hmm. Um, So I think a lot of people imagine a parent yelling, go to your room, and that's a timeout. Um, Whereas mental health professionals like myself, we talk about a very specific procedure um, with specific steps when we talk about a timeout. So then walk us through a very specific, the very specific steps and procedure of a timeout so we can all be on the same page. Sure. So a timeout should start with a parent giving a brief explanation like, you hit your brother, you're getting a timeout. Mm-hmm. And then walking the child quietly, calmly to a designated timeout spot. And I recommend using an adult-sized chair in a kind of calm, kind of low-traffic, quiet area. Um, and then the next step is a parent sitting the child down in the chair, telling them, you're going to stay here until I tell you to get up. Um, And then staying close by, but walking away so the child has some space to Mm -hmm. to calm down. And then having the child sit for a very brief amount of time. This is also something that that people can get wrong, where they think longer is better for timeouts. But there's really no evidence for that, and it can backfire Mm. if a parent tries to make the timeout too long. Um, So a timeout should be very brief, just a few minutes. Um, A good rule of thumb is to have a child sit for 
um, one minute for each year old they are. So a four-year-old would sit for four minutes. Well, um, easy and to remember. Also, yeah, and that yep. seems about in line with me because I need just as many minutes as years old I am <laughs> just to, to <laughs> get that break. I mean, that's true. That's perfect amount. Um, and then it's really important that the parent is the one that says that the timeout is over. So they officially announce, you've done your timeout, you can go back to playing or, or doing whatever now. So those are the, those are the five steps. Um, I would also add that after that, it's really important that parents take a minute to reconnect with their child, that they look for the positive child behaviors that their child are doing, take a minute to play or read a book, something to reconnect after this stressful timeout period. And so what is it about a timeout that affects the children's behavior? How, how does it affect it? I think, I think what you were saying before is really important, that it's a strategy that we learn that when we get overwhelmed, when we kind of lose control of our behavior, we need to step back, take a moment, have quiet. I think just having some moments of quiet is so important. And all of that contributes to a child learning emotion regulation abilities. Are there some children for whom, like, timeouts aren't effective or, or not um you know, appropriate? Sure. Um, in terms of how long they sit in the chair, you know, some children mm-hmm. just will absolutely not do that. You know, I think that that doesn't come as a surprise that some children will just get up mm-hmm. over and over again. Um, I recommend a general strategy where parents take their children back to the chair, kind of starting the timeout over, explaining again that they're going to sit. But for some children, it just might not work. You know, they might just be kind of so dysregulated that they keep getting out of the chair over and over again. Hmm. Is there the issue on the other side of it? Because I would imagine that there are some kids that are like, fine, I'll sit in this chair. Oh, I'll yeah. just go ahead and I'll, I just, have one be, of those. I'll just be in this chair <laughs> yeah, and that's I fine. I sit you, here all day. You promise no one's going to bother me here? This chair is a pretty good situation. <laughs> yes, I actually have a four-year-old who's a lot like that. Oh. <laughs> um, and so for, for, you know, parents need a lot of different parenting tools and yeah. I might, might not be the best tool for, for every child. Yeah. So let's talk about the situations in which it's appropriate to use a timeout. I mean, obviously, I think there's the assumption if you use it too often that it, it might lose its effectiveness. If you use it too infrequently, they, they don't know what's happening. When, when should you use timeouts? Yeah, definitely don't. It's not something you want to use too often. You don't want to be putting a child in timeout every day. Um, it takes a lot of time and effort for parents to, to do this procedure correctly. Mm-hmm. Um, so you want to reserve using a timeout for the most challenging child behaviors. Um, the biggest one to me is aggression, you know, hitting, kicking, pinching, those kinds of things mm-hmm. um, would warrant a timeout. Um, but don't use it for really minor behaviors like whining or complaining or talking back. Those mm-hmm. kinds of things can just be ignored or, you know, redirected more easily. We're talking with Dr. Lucy McGoran about timeouts, when to use them, how to use them effectively. Do you think that we, um, as a society, as a culture, have have misused timeouts and so that they've lost their effectiveness? Or do you think that we're getting better at using them? It depends on how they're used and how that term is used. You know, if they're used um, in this, these really specific steps, mm-hmm. there's lots of research to show that they're effective, that they're not harmful, that they can really reduce children's challenging behavior. Why is it so hotly contested between those who would think that it's appropriate and those who would say, don't do this? I think a big part of that is that, you know, people have different children that are very different. Um, what I've often hear with, with, with people don't like timeout is they say that's just not necessary that, mm-hmm. oh, you can just tell a young child no, you can just redirect them. Um, but they might have more easygoing children. Some children are a lot more strong-willed. They need a lot firmer limit set. Um, so so those, different, those differences in children can lead to differences of, of opinion. Is there a sort of an age range that sort of loses the efficacy of timeouts? 
yeah, as children get older, it's going to be less effective and less needed. I generally recommend it is a good strategy for children ages two to five. Mm-hmm. But again, it could differ um, by the child. It might, for some six or seven-year-olds, it might still be uh, worthwhile. I don't recommend it for children under two. They're, they're not going to stay put. Yeah. They're not going to understand what's going on. What about for adults? Lisa's really kind of just asking around it. Like when <laughs> no, we, when I her just... <laughs> when her and I when her and I get into it a little bit, we don't know who's supposed to put the other in a timeout, and we that to be able to get that, something like that to work. But, but there is an element. Joking aside, there is an element to to each of us to know our own emotional welfare and to remove ourselves from it. But is that altogether that different from what we're helping our kids discover? I think we're teaching them the, the skill that we all use as adults, that when we get overwhelmed, taking a moment of quiet can be really helpful. Yeah. When you're uh, over, either like stimulated or you're over stressed out and, and, and those kind of intense feelings, if you're experiencing them, it seems to me that that's not the time to, to discipline your kid or to talk to, to your kid. Have you ever found yourself in a, in a situation like that? Absolutely. And I think that's an important point that if a parent is so upset in the moment that, that doing time out with their child probably isn't a good idea. It's, it's a better idea for them to give themselves a moment before they mm-hmm. come back to, to worrying about discipline. Is there a good check? I mean, we've sort of gone over the steps or whatever, but I think that in the moment we would be very quick to forget all of those things. Do you have mm-hmm. a, a way, um, whether it's a mnemonic device or some sort of acronym or something, that gives us the skill to go, okay, I am feeling this. I want to make sure that I execute this timeout uh, you know, on points rather than on emotion yeah. and be able to, to do this the right way? I think planning ahead of time is really important. You know, I even in my house, I have written down the steps of time oh, out and, huh. and, and taped on the inside of a closet door. Um, That's smart. Also, That's uh, so smart. It, I think it's important to talk to children before you even try to do a timeout to go over these steps. Because um, nobody holds you accountable more like young children. You know, they'll say, <laughs> right? no, that's not what that's not what you were supposed to do. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> So you can go over these steps with them, tell them what kind of behaviors are going to lead to a timeout, um, what's going to happen, where is, it, where is it going to be, so that you're all on the same page. Is it difficult for you as a researcher, as a, a professional with this, to see timeouts used in practice in other settings with, say, friends or family and not say anything? Yes, that definitely is. I've, I've seen people say time out in a variety of settings, and it's like, oh, that's not how I would do it. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. that must be difficult. I try to bite my tongue in those situations, unless they, unless people specifically ask. You've got good manners. I appreciate that. I, and see, I would love it if you're like, uh, listen, Doctor Lucy, Doctor Lucy here. <laughs> Let's yeah. talk about the structure of what you've just done what and you're just really sort of, communicating and, and, and insert yourself into any possible situation. Oh, I feel like you earned it. You might as well share it with everybody. <laughs> And we're going to give you the opportunity right now here. Okay. Oh. So you've you've seen a lot. You've researched a lot. What do you wish every parent knew about timeouts that maybe they don't? Um, I, I wish they knew these steps, and I wish they, they knew that timeout can be a way to model being calm, you know, staying calm mm-hmm. in difficult situations. Um, so a, a lot of the things that I read about timeout in, in the media make it seem like this very harsh parenting strategy where the parent is mad and they're mm-hmm. kind of setting this really kind of mean limit. Um, I wish people knew that it could be done in this gentler way that actually teaches children how to take a moment, how to calm down, how to quiet down. Um, and so it can be really effective in that way. I'd like to end where we began. Can you give those steps again, give that opportunity for us to to write those down and really make sure that we have them? Sure. So the first one is the parent should give a brief explanation about why the child is going to timeout. Um, Then quietly walk the child to timeout. 
sometimes a parent might have to pick the child up. Um, I recommend doing so kind of in a gentle way from the back underneath the arms. Um, then the parent should put the child in the timeout chair, giving them an explanation that they're going to stay there until it's time to get up. Um, and then have the child sit for a brief amount of time. Uh, one minute for each year old they are is a good rule of thumb. And then the parent should stay quiet until it's time for the timeout to, to end. And they should tell the child that the timeout is over. And then what I think is really important is to have a moment of reconnecting with the child at the end. Yeah. Uh, important steps, and we appreciate you sharing them with us. Dr. Lucy McGoran, parenting strategies uh, researcher and assistant professor at the Merrill Palmer Skillman Institute. For more information on Dr. McGoran's research into parenting strategies, you can visit her page at Wayne State University. It's a great discussion. You know, I think it, it's such a funny thing that when your kid has a, a tantrum, especially like in public, you've, parents typically, myself included, like have felt embarrassed and and feel like that they need to sort of uh, explain it to people around. And I mm -hmm. think that the more that we have discussions like this and, and keep it open, we all know, oh, no, yeah, we've experienced this. It's fine. And don't put that added pressure on um, parents, especially in public, to, quote, unquote, like perform sure. the, you know, the way to do it. Well, they weren't, you know, strict enough or they were too lenient or they, you know, whatever the criticism may be, being able to really like take care of the kid is the most important. I love that she element. gave, uh, you know, as parents, we always make the joke like parenting didn't come with an instruction right. manual, right? Like anybody right. see the, the directions for this kid? But those were very easy steps, right? That if I... If I have them written down yeah. or, you know, I listen to this again and She's again an by She's subscribing to the Lisa yeah. Show podcast, uh, whatever, you know, my means for having that is, I can go. Now, what do I do next? Yeah. All right. I put them, you know, a minute for each year. Okay. That's doable. Even Dr. McGorn has them written down in her house. Yeah. Like, I thought that was a, that was very encouraging. Yeah. You can find The Lisa Show on the free BYU radio app. Have you downloaded it yet? Make sure that you grab it, get it, use it, consume us. Uh, wherever you are, you can take us with you. It's like having us on vacation with you, if that's where you listen. And you can also email us, contact us. We'd love to hear from you. The Lisa Show at BYU.edu. Make great use of that subject line and send that email today. Thank you for making The Lisa Show a part of your day.